Number one, follow the instructions of what I have laid out for them. Uh, I can't control anything that you do off the track, away from me, but I can control anything that you do when you're with me. And if you're doing everything that I'm telling you to do, instructing you to do, uh, eating the right way, your nutrition, uh, getting the proper sleep, uh, doing your weights like you're supposed to, uh, making sure that you stay out of trouble, uh, making sure that you're hanging around the right people. The right people to me is anybody that's not negative, anybody that's positive, anybody that's going to push you, anybody that's going to support you, uh, making sure that you believe in God um, because you already know that's where it starts. And uh, if they do that, then they're gonna they're gonna perform up to their capabilities. Any runner that we that I'm training uh, just quit. They just quit on me, and for some reason they just stop performing up to their capabilities. I mean, it's just like they never finished the race uh, mentally. And uh, because I know as a coach uh, and as a person that I have given them the right tools to work on anything that they want to do, gave them instructions on how to run the race, uh, you know, giving them everything possible that they need to perform and as well as the Lord putting a lot of stuff in my head to make sure that if I believe, then they should be believed. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Great. It's good to be back with you. Um, I'm here to give uh, Jay a little bit of rest. At the same time, he said, who better to come and talk about obedience than the big dog? So, so I'm here this morning kind of as the velvet hammer. And uh, I'm really looking forward to today's message. But i got to tell you what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. They've been extremely busy weeks. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at an event that taught me a lot about victory and celebration and obedience. I was at the NAIA Division II Men's National Basketball Championships, which were held at the College of the Ozarks in Point Lookout, Missouri, where I watched 31 basketball games in six days. So the NCAA is not much after watching all that, but I'm still go Duke. Um, but you know, while I was there, I noticed it was a, it was a time to watch people run. It was a time to watch some really great coaching. It was a time to watch people follow the rules, and then it was also a time to watch people engaged in victory. Now, last week, I was in Angola Prison in Angola, Louisiana. If you don't know what that is, I've been working down there for a little over 13 years, teaching inmates. 
It is the largest maximum security prison in America, 6,200 men on an 18,000-acre working farm. The average sentence is 88 years. These men are not going to get out, probably. But while I'm there, I'm always encouraged because there, too, they have learned to run the race, and they've run the race, race well. These are men who have learned how to break every rule you could possibly think of, but have now, because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, have learned to follow the rules, and today they now live in victory. In fact, they live in such victorious life, many of them, maybe over 2,000 born-again believers down there, that they will tell me, Doc, remind people that we think we are freer inside these walls than the people outside. That's also why I wear this. It reminds me that we are bound together. One of the inmates made this for me. And even as they are in chains, we are in chains together. The forgotten church behind the walls of America, indeed this world. Now thus far, if you've been here for the whole series, uh, we have heard three things. We have heard that it's time to run. In other words, when we are born, we are literally dropped out and told to run. <laughs> and we are going to run until the day the Lord Jesus Christ calls us home. It was He who decided when we were to be born. It's He who will decide when we leave this world. But we run the race, so at the end we can hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. It's also time, though, to listen to the coach. We've heard these little vignettes now for three, four weeks now about coaching. And it's important that we have people in our life who do coach us along the journey, but most of all, we get pointed back to the ultimate coach. We hear from God himself. We hear that through the words of Jesus in the scriptures. We hear that from our pastors. We hear it from our teachers. We hear it from our home team leaders. We hear it from our prayer partners, but we are coached all along the journey. And it's also about the training. And this is really kind of leads up to today's message, the big O, obedience. Let's pray. Father, as we gather today, I just pray for this Holy Spirit. I pray that the Spirit would empower the words that I speak, that they may not be my words, but what it is that you want these people to hear. I pray just even as the rain and the snow come down and water the earth, that seeds will be scattered out and that they will take root in the lives of your hearers. And so I pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit be in their lives as well so these seeds can take root and then bring forth the fruit that you so richly desire. So be with us today as we talk about being obedient Christ followers. We pray that in Jesus' most powerful name. Amen. Now let me start by asking you this question. How is your obedience level these days? Down here, chugging along about a quarter of a tank? Or are you just smoking right down the trail? I think if we're all honest with each other, it kind of fluctuates from day to day. Indeed, as we've been looking at Hebrews chapter 12 for the last number of weeks, uh, we've read, read different passages, and today the passage I want to hold before you is from Hebrews 12, verses 12 to 14. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So again, I'm going to ask you, how are you doing in this race? How are you doing in this pursuit? Are your hands kind of drooping? You've dropped your hands off the wheel. Does that happen to you every once in a while? Are you a little bit weak-kneed from time to time? Are you on the straight path, or are you? I saw several trucks on my drive back from 
Louisiana back to the Metroplex the other day that were in the ditch. You've been in the ditch lately? Had to be towed out, maybe by a good friend? You know, are you aware of all of the pitfalls that can actually befall you? All the stuff that keeps you from living what I would call a, an obedient, victorious Christian life. I want to take you back to a book I read a, a year or two ago. It's written by Dave Kinneman. Dave Kinneman is a researcher for the Barna Research Group, a Christian organization. He re- does research amongst Christians. And he wrote a book called Unchristian. Let me read this to you. He's discussing some rather disheartening research concerning the failure of Christians to live a victorious Christian life. He writes, In virtually every study we conduct, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-again Christians, and I'm kind of assuming that would be you, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. For instance, we found that most of the lifestyle activities of born-again Christians were statistically equivalent to those of non-born-again people. Born-again believers were just as likely to visit a pornographic website in the last 30 days, to take something that did not belong to them, to consult a medium or psychic, to physically abuse or fight someone, to have consumed enough alcohol to be considered legally drunk, to have used an illegal non-prescription drug, to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something he or she did, and to have said mean things behind another person's back. Isn't that interesting? That's what studies show in the lives of those of us who call ourselves born-again believers. Now, I'm going to ask, when I read the book, I I kept asking myself, could this be me? Could this be me he's talking about? Maybe as I read, maybe you were sitting there saying, oh, it couldn't be me. Could it? I'm going to offer a personal confession as we begin today. There's something that really, really, really bugs me about me, and it's this that I often see in my own life a disconnect between what I say I believe and then how I actually live that out in day-to-day life. I do not run the race as well as I could, nor should. I'm not saying that I'm on the fast track to hell, but I'm telling you that I am not living an obedient, victorious life all the time. That's my personal confession to you. But I'm going to tell you about something else that bugs me. And it's bugged me my entire ministry life. And it's this, that I often see that same connect with the people that I minister to. I see a disconnect between what they say they believe and how I see the hands raised in worship and the clapping and everything and then what I would see them out in the marketplace during the week and how they actually live. Their obedience, too, is not quite what it ought to be. Now, what is it that causes this? Well, we could boil it down to just one simple little three-letter word, couldn't we? It's sin, isn't it? The Bible tells us in sin we were conceived, in sin we were born. We are going to live with sin the rest of our lives. But if you look at 1 John chapter 2, you can see where that affects us 
it says, For all that is in this world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from this world. From the day you entered this world, you struggled with the lust, you struggled with the lust of the flesh. And you still do. We all do. We eat too much. We drink too much. We, we, we're just always wanting stuff. The lust of the eyes. I can remember one of the most honest presidents we've ever had. That's kind of sometimes saying a lot. But uh, <laughs> was an interview that Jimmy Carter did with Playboy magazine a number of years ago. Why he would want to do an interview with them, I do not know. But he said, if looking at another woman lustfully is committing adultery, I have committed adultery many, many times. He was being brutally honest that he struggled with the lust of the eyes. And then there's the pride of life. When I go back down to prison, Warden Kane has told me in time, in a number of times, we need to bring you back every once in a while to keep you humble. Because the pride of the life sometimes sneaks in. So let's ask ourselves again, as we strive to live out these Christ as Christ fathers, what are the key things that we ought to be obedient about? If we're going to really be victorious, what should we be thinking about? Now, this morning, I, I am going to use a little acronym, V-I-C-T-O-R-Y. Maybe you heard it before. V-I-C-T-O-R-Y, what? Victory, victory, that's our cry. And maybe today we could have a cheer at the end of our service, because how do we live victorious, obedient Christian lives? And I'm going to use this little acronym, and I base this on Psalm 60, verse 12, that says, With God, we will gain the victory. Now, let me spell it out for you. Let's start with the letter V. V is for vision. Vision. It's a sense of destiny so that we know where we came from, where we are, where we're going. Proverbs 29, 18a says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Or in modern translations, sometimes it says, Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Or if you read the very last verse in the book of Judges, it said, And because there was no king, the people did whatever they wanted to do. That's the sin problem. Now, this last week when I was in prison, and I was teaching a class called See Through the Scriptures, we do a six-hour seminar taking people all the way from Genesis through Revelation. It's like teaching with a fire hose. One of the things I taught them was the three stages of a Christ follower's life. And I know you're all pretty familiar with this. One of them is justification. This is when God in Jesus Christ rescued you from your life of sin. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. We are separated from God like the giant Grand Canyon. The only way we can get from us to God is through Jesus, whose death and resurrection bridges that great divide. So we are justified. We were rescued from the life that we were living. And now where do we find ourselves today? We, we find ourselves living a sanctified life. Sanctified means to be cleaned up. So every day we're kind of getting up and we are cleaning ourselves up. Uh, Martin Luther uh, one time said that every day we should drown the old Adam in us. And uh, we should start a new life in each and every morning. And, and i got to tell you something. This is going to be weird. I'm going to plant a thought in your mind. Every day since I heard that, when I was maybe in third or fourth grade, every time I take a shower... I think about drowning the old Adam. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I don't look this good when I first get up. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife who's sitting back there. I don't look this good in the morning. You know, you wake up, neither do you by <laughs> anyway. Uh, you wake up in the morning, you got that drool coming out of your mouth. You got that sleep crud in your eye. Your hair, if you got it bent. You got bed head. You got bed mouth. You just got stink on you. Now, you walk into that shower and the waters, this kind of reminds me of the baptismal waters coming over, and it washes, what was that, an old dial commercial? <laughs> a new man comes forth. <laughs> and now I look really good, don't I? Well, it's all relative. But that's what I remember, the, san- the daily sanctified life. But there's going to come a day, it's called the glorification, when, boom, we're out of this world and we're in heaven. And everything's going to be wonderful. So as Christ followers, we need to have a good vision of the past, where we were, what Jesus did for us. We need to have a pretty good idea where we are today, living out this struggle called the sanctified life, but also look forward to the future. You know, every time you ever pray the Lord's Prayer, it says, Thy kingdom come. Do you realize that's a twofold prayer? One is that the kingdom of God would actually come in the hearts of all those people who do not yet know Jesus. That's part of that prayer. The other part is we pray that the clouds would open, the horns would blow, the angels would come, and they would take us home. I pray for that all the time. How about you? You ready to go home? I am. I'd be ready to go. And in fact, I'd be greatly relieved if it happened during this sermon. (laughs) (laughs) That scared some of you. (laughs) He was here a minute ago. (laughs) Uh, Let's look at the letter I, which is integrity. Integrity is a Greek word that means to have a one-piece heart. The best example in Scripture I can think of is Joseph. Remember, sold into slavery by his brothers, finds himself in jail, hauled out, working for Potiphar. He's put in charge of the whole thing, but one day Potiphar's gone, the servants are all out of the house, and here comes Potiphar's wife. Now imagine you being 18 years old, good-looking guy, that's what the Bible says about him, and here comes this middle-aged woman who wants to seduce you and take you to bed. What does Joseph do? Well, he could have looked around and said, Hey, Daddy ain't around nowhere. You know, Mama don't see me. They live hundreds of miles away back in the promised land. Potiphar's not here. There's not a servant here. Hey, my lucky day. But have you ever read that story? You know what Joseph said? He looked at her and he said, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against what? You? Your husband? No, he said, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There was a man of integrity, one-piece heart. Are you the same person in the dark as you are in the light? Are you the same person that has their hands uplifted in praise on a Sunday morning as you are when you're away from the church, out in the workplace, when people are telling off-color jokes or engaging in profanity? Are you the same person? That takes a little bit of obedience. It takes a little bit of strength. It takes integrity. The letter C stands for commitment. A lot of people struggle with what they call being overcommitted. I don't believe that any of you are overcommitted. I think you're overinvolved and undercommitted. You got so much stuff going on in your life that you just don't have time to be completely committed to it. It's kind of hard to live an obedient race of life when we have so many distractions. 
And you may be surprised to hear this from a person who's pastored churches for almost 50 years. The church sometimes doesn't really help us very much. We have so much stuff going on. There's an old joke that said the government spends millions of dollars building highways and the Baptists wear them out going to meetings. <laughs> now, it just sometimes, you know, sometimes the church needs to have a barbecue where they cook a few sacred cows and kind of thin the herd a little bit and allow people really to be more committed to their family life and their kids and their wife and everything else. But what, oh, let me give you some ideas, some things to be committed to. Be committed to worship. Yeah, I would just say be here as long as you're healthy. I used to teach uh, some junior high kids. I always asked them, what would you consider to be committed worship? And they would always kind of go, mm, I don't know, more often than not. Okay, what does that mean? Uh, in other words, if you're here about 50% of the time, you'd call that committed worship, right? And they go, uh-huh. And so I would say, any of you all going to get married someday? Yeah, I said, okay, what would you think if your husband or wife only came home about 50% of the time? Committed? <laughs> what if you had a car for work and it only started every other morning? Committed? Hardly. Unfortunately, across America today, church attendance, worship attendance, and all across the board is going down. Why? It's because a lot of people who normally attended four times a week are suddenly going twice. People who came twice are coming once. Now, why is it? Well, studies show it's they have so much other stuff to do. I was raised in a community where my high school team, basketball team, was supposed to play on a Wednesday night during the, what was called the season of Lent, and we were not going to be able to play the game because nobody did things in the midweek. I grew up when there were no baseball games or soccer games on a Sunday morning, but now they're all over the place. We need to be committed to prayer. When somebody calls you on the phone and says, I'm really struggling with this, will you pray for me? Do you say, okay, and then hang up? Or do you say, let's pray right now? Or when the young girl at Starbucks several weeks ago, who I built a little bit of a relationship with, said, I'm really struggling with something, will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, let's pray right now. Now, I didn't stand there in front of the cash register and block everybody else. I said, as soon as you can, come over here. I'll wait at the table and pray for her right then. We need to be committed to each other. I mean, we're all in this race together, friends. We might as well all join hands and run the race. In a number of churches I pastored, our mission statement was this. We believe that a great commitment to the Great Commission and the Great, com the great Commandment will not only grow great people, it will make a great church. We want to run that race. There's another thing I think we really need to be committed to, and now I'm going to start, as some of my uh, ranchers over in East Texas used to tell me, you're stopping preaching and you're going to start meddling. So let me meddle in your life, because I'm going to talk a little bit about biblical stewardship and tithing for a moment. Hmm. Even Martin Luther said the last thing converted in a man is his wallet. <laughs> let me talk about your wallet for a moment. First Kings says, your heart should be fully committed to the Lord. Well, let me talk about tithing for a moment. Just giving 10% of your income right off the top. Kind of an interesting thing. I mean, tithing is an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. Instructed by God back in Leviticus chapter 17. Uh, it's affirmed by Jesus in Luke 11. Uh, it's coupled with a whole lot of blessings. Malachi 3 says, bring the full tithe into my storehouse and test me in this. The only time in the Bible God ever says, put me to the test, 
see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour more than you can handle in your lap. I don't know if you've ever tithed or not, but I want to lay out a challenge to you. It's a challenge I've also made to virtually anybody I've ever talked to about tithing. And it's this, that if next Sunday, starting Easter Sunday, you decide, okay, I'm going to suck it up and I'm going to tithe. And if you find later in this week you cannot live on what's left, we'll give your money back. Now, when I've said that, I've seen financial secretaries in my church practically collapse and fall out of the aisle. I've seen elders shake. (laughs) What did he say? What did he say? I've seen our board of directors go, give people their money back. (laughs) But I have it right from the horse's mouth. Jay Bruner, who said he would put his stamp of approval on that. If you tithe and you find you can't make it, you get your money back. It's an act of obedience. Something to think about. Let's go to T. T is tenacity. To explain tenacity, I'm going to tell you about a little running experience I had a number of years ago. I look more like a football player than a, a runner, but when I was coaching in high school, I would run, and down our block was a house that had a dog. Now, I'm a little biased with dogs. I like dogs that go, woof. I'm not really enamored with the yeep, yeep, yeep dog. But this this family, I'm sorry if you got one. Um, (laughs) Not really. Um, But this family had one of those Taco Bell dogs. You know the kind. (laughs) And he, every time I ran by, it would be yeep, 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 as I ran by. And I just kind of go, and I just keep running. Well, one morning as I was out, Pedro was on the front lawn. And when he saw me, he went out, he ran out, and he fanged me right in the leg. Fortunately, I had sweatpants on, so his little teeth grabbed me right by the pant leg. And I go, oh, you want to go running, buddy? Let's go. And so down the block, we ran. And when I got down to the end, I turned around and brought him back, and then I shook him off in the front yard, which is about the time the front screen door opened. And the lady said, what are you doing out there? And I said, just playing with your dog. (laughs) Now, I tell you that story because that little dog had what? Tenacity. Now, that's what we as Christians need to practice in our obedience in our victorious life. We hold on in the dark until the light comes. You ever been in a dark spot in your life? We all have. But you hang on because you know Jesus is there. Jesus can take any bad thing in your life and have it turn out to be good. Sometimes you have to see it through the rearview mirror, but it's coming. I know so many guys in prison who thank God that they're in Angola prison. This is the place they were brought when everything was dark. But it was here that they were brought face to face with the living light of the world. Let's talk about O, obedience. Oh, that's a good one, obedience. Matthew 28, teaching them to obey. In Nigeria a number of years ago, I'd finished a time of teaching and decided to help somebody out in the prayer booth. As I set down my books, I turned around and suddenly I had a whole long line of people. The first man stood about six inches from me. They don't have the same space that we have in America. You know, so I back up a little bit. And I said, what can I pray for you, brother? And he said, I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I said, have you been obedient? He said, no, you don't understand. I want, the, I want you to pray that I get the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
And again, I said, have you been obedient? He said, no, I want the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so conjuring up my best George Bush, can you read my lips? Only people that are a little bit older would understand that. This is the older Bush, by the way. I said, have you been obedient? Now, what was he asking for? What he was asking that I would lay hands on him so that he would be able to speak in tongues, interpret tongues, perhaps do some healing, whatever. And I told him, have you been obedient? And he wondered why I kept saying that. And I said, because in the Bible, and I'm assuming you have the same Bible I do, the Bible says that obedience leads to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem is the Bible is full of well over 3,000 promises. And guess what? You all want every promise that's in there. But every promise of God is preceded by what we would call premises. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The promise is he will make straight your paths. You all want that? Straight paths? I do. The premise is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do you want the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing greater than you can imagine? What does it say? Bring the full tithe into my storehouse and test me in this. See, we like all of the treasures of God, but we're not sometimes willing to be obedient to what he asked us to do. Here's the art, readiness to serve. I won't say much about this because this church is really good at this. You're going to see a little, a little video a little bit later that's going to encapsulate this better than I can. But I think about the home teams and I think about the SWAT teams and how very eager the people of this congregation seem to be to serve other people. You know, Jesus said, whoever wants to be great among you must first become your what? Your servant. Well, let's go to the why. And this is to be yoked with Christ. Or sometimes I think yoked with the Spirit. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for it's easy. Let me tell you one more story. This had to do with my grandpa. My grandparents raised me. When the tornado destroyed the farm, we ended up moving into a little town. He became the janitor of the church and the school and the parish hall. We lived about two long blocks between our house and the school, a big field. And in Nebraska, it snows a lot. And so as a little boy, my grandpa would get me up in the morning to go help him get school ready and get the furnace going and all that kind of stuff. But the snow was deep, so we would we would strap on those old four-buckle overshoes. Now, some of you all live down the south the whole lot. You don't have got the biggest idea what I'm talking about. Big old four-bucklers. You all know you're the totes generation, uh, if you even wear those. And so what would happen? My grandpa was not very big, five foot five, five foot six. He would walk in the snow. And what would I do as a little kid? I'd walk in his foot, footsteps. I had to stretch sometimes because I was just a little guy. Now... When I had my own children, what happened? We'd go walk in the snow. Guess what? They would walk in my footsteps. My grandson, when he lived with us, would walk in Grandpa's footsteps. There's a Christian song that says, May the footsteps that we leave lead them to believe. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Since we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. Let me just close with a few words of encouragement. We all live in this sinful world. But Paul says sin shouldn't be our master. It doesn't need to be. We can be victorious. Here's one thing I would tell you. Take a realistic look at how your sins weigh you down and then decide to do something about it. A lot of you, I have a feeling, I should say, I have no idea. I mean, but, but many, some of you get up in the morning and you're already worn out. 
because of what's going on in your life. Some people get up in the morning and go, oh, God, not another day. I prefer to get up in the morning and say, good morning, God, it's another day. People who say, thank God it's Friday, I always say, yeah, it's about another day closer to church. But just think something, your sins that weigh you down. I'd say if this is you, I give you permission to do a couple things. One of them is just to take a serious look at the sins that have so easily found themselves entangling your life. And then second, allow yourself to imagine what it would be like with that sin gone from your life. Imagine what it would be like to be free from anger. Imagine what it would be like to be free from guilt, from lust or laziness. And then call upon the Holy Spirit to help you remove those things from your life. The writer of Hebrews said, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles. There's a second thing I would offer in encouragement, and that is no matter how many times you fail or fall, get up and try again. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've done that. I mean, I'm 70 years old. I've been in ministry within about six months of being 50 years in the ministry. I know what it's like to fall down. I know what it's like to get beaten up. In fact, I can recall the day that I almost retired, resigned, actually resigned from the pastoral ministry. I was just fed up. I can deal with stuff on the outside, but when it gets inside, sometimes it gets the best of me. So I sat down and decided to write my letter of resignation. And guess what? I even decided I, maybe I should add a few Bible passages so it sounded spiritual. <laughs> That's how bad I was. And so I turned around on my credenza, picked up my Bible, plopped it down in front of the typewriter or computer, and it was open to Joshua chapter 1. And several times underlined in yellow, it said, Be strong and courageous, for I'm your Lord. And I looked at that and I went, Thank you, God, I guess. <laughs> and I pulled the sheet out, and I kind of said to myself, suck it up, big boy. Build a bridge. Get over it. The God who is with you to this point is the same God who will be with you. Get up. Move on. There's another thing I would tell you, and that is just to create some accountability for yourself. That's the beauty of things like home teams. It's the beauty of prayer partners. Somebody who will get in your face from time to time like Nathan did with David and said, you're the man. You need people who, are, who, who have the strength to be able to enter your life and say, look, you know this isn't the way to do it. You also need to be able to do that with other people in your life. Now, I know all of us here this morning, are, uh, we have one ugly thing in common. It's sin. We all struggle. Some sins are more visible than others. But we all struggle with it. And yet we don't need to quit. We don't need to quit because the battle has been won. Hebrews ends up by saying, look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You also heard Pastor Matt talk about before that you're looking forward to Easter next Sunday, the Super Bowl of our faith. But did you know that this is also in many places called Holy Week? And in some churches in America, today is Palm Sunday. This is the day, typically, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on his donkey to prepare for his last days. I even heard a church once that had an actual donkey come down the aisle. I was glad I was not the pastor and be expected to ride that in. But then some churches also use this week because they'll come back, and some churches have what we call Maundy Thursday services, where they remember the time when Jesus even gathered his disciples around communion and said, this is also for your journey the body and blood of Jesus Christ. 
And some churches also even have Good Friday services that are really dark, and they remember the last seven words of Jesus on the cross that end up with what? It is finished. Jesus won the victory, and he was crowned king on that cross on Calvary, laid in a cross, and on Easter Sunday we all get up and we say, Christ the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. He wants us to have the same victory that he's already won for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for calling us to be your obedient children. We thank you for the many things that you've already done for us as you sent your son Jesus in this world to suffer, to die for us. We know that we can do no good thing that is out there to be able to earn any special place in it with you because you've already done it. But may we live out a life in response, a life of victory, and a life of obedience.